0: Hey, will know why. Hey, everybody, Welcome to the Lunch with Legs podcast. I am a burlesque performer and teacher and producer based in the exotic Brooklyn of New York City. (laughs) Um, It is a huge pleasure and honor to be bringing this podcast to you, and especially with our first guest. I have the extreme good fortune of having some really wonderful friends and just knowing some really interesting people who have some extraordinary stories to share. And my wonderful executive producer, Mr. David Lawrence Bird, and myself are going to be bringing you this podcast, which is basically interviews with people who I love and admire and whose stories I feel should be heard from a much wider audience. Uh, our first interviewee is the wonderful Shelley Watson, who is a dear friend of mine. She's an opera singer. She's a burlesque host but I get into a more thorough introduction of her in the actual meat of the interview itself. So stay tuned for all that and moving forward. If you or anybody you know would be interested in sponsoring the lunch with legs podcast, we are looking for sponsors, be it sponsorship in kind, some financial contributions, even sponsoring an episode straight up. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. And again, that is lunch with legs, exactly as it sounds. We're talking pure anatomy, just L-E-G-S. No double G's, no Z's, nothing like that. Lunchwithlegs at gmail.com. So again, welcome to the podcast. Here we go with episode one.
1: Lunch
0: with Legs. Ladies and gentlemen, it is such a huge honor to be introducing you to our first Lunch with Legs podcast interviewee. She is a very well-known fixture on the New York City burlesque circuit. She is a Juilliard-trained opera singer. She is a good friend of mine. She has... So many stories and so many past, uh, jobs and lives that I hope that we can cover at least a fraction of them. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Lunch with Legs podcast, Miss Shelley Watson. <sighs> That's
1: the giant crowd, ladies
0: and gentlemen. Screaming.
1: That I, that, I tra- that I make travel with
0: me. Small marching band on mute right now. How convenient. They fit in your purse. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so thrilled that you are my first interviewee. You are a natural first choice um, for this podcast. Because I've taken so many so,
1: so many virginity.
0: Yes. On so many levels. Yes. Yeah, on so many levels. And, on, if I may add, on a weekly basis basis. Uh, yes, actually, probably
1: on a <laughs> weekly basis. You're
0: totally right about that. <laughs> so for the folks at home who are listening to this um, who don't know very much about burlesque, um, Shelley hosts a weekly uh, show here in the city at a great little bar called Nurse Betty. Um, what exactly is the name of your show on Wednesday nights? Is it Spanking the Lower East Side? No, that's actually that's the, the name that the uh, Calamity
1: March. has that has coined it. used to be Spanking the Lower East Side as well on mm-hmm. Wednesday night because it was not extension of Calamity's show that was hosted by another host. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I took it over, uh, there was a, uh, a choice made to change the name so that I would have a chance to do something on my own. So... It's got the nurse. It's like the. Well, I it I, it started that I uh, you know because it's you know nurse Betty. So I came up with the showgirl cure for what ails you, which is gorgeous and really fun, but really hard to say. It's the showgirl cure for what ails you. I felt like doing acting acting exercises. It's the showgirl cure for what ails you, and then I came up with a uh, saying when I was there. We're so glad you died, You decided to come down and take a turn for the nurse. So that. That's really what it is. Take a turn for the nurse Nice is, is what it's called now.
0: And for those at home uh, who are listening to this, uh, Calamity Chang is the producer of the Thursday Night Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm at Nurse Betty, um, as well as a multi-talented burlesque producer here in New York City. And I'm sure she will be a guest at some point on this podcast, just to fill you guys in.
1: And actually, too, calamity Chang hosts Friday nights at Hotel Chantel, which yes, I does. am now the uh, permanent host on Friday. Nights. Hey, congratulations,
0: Shelly! Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> so. For those of you, especially in the New York area, or if you're planning on visiting New York anytime soon, I highly recommend Shelley's shows, both that she is producing, performing, and hosting. So that's Wednesday Nights at Nurse Betty, uh, which is on Norfolk Street in the Lower East Side, and at the other one, which is at Hotel Chantel on Ludlow Street, just below Delancey. And both of them won't cost you a single cent apart from the $20 tips you put in the bucket. That's,
1: that's actually why that siren just went by, because it's such a steal. They were like- <laughs> The Popo is coming right now to enforce certain cash goes into the stash.
0: I love it. We're actually filming from Shelly, uh filming, recording from uh Shelly's living room, uh midtown on the west side, just off of Columbus Circle and uh her beautiful uh, Boston Terrier, Zelda, is here. So if you hear some rumbling (laughs) or some (laughs) gnawing or... (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) vegans,
1: You're probably terrorized by now. Wait, is that a femur?
0: (laughs) I think it's more a hip joint. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, Shelly, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to New York. I mean, a little bit about your background, but also how you got to this crazy city we call home. Um, Well, I'm a originally from
1: California and I moved here essentially just to go to school and I hadn't ever been uh, to New York before except for my audition which lasted about two days and then I ended up moving here but when I was in California I was a I enjoyed uh, singing classical music but only because somebody told me to like I really enjoyed choir in junior high because my sister was in it And then uh, I surpassed her because she sort of like, well, dropped out of school at 14 and like got a job and everything. So I kind of took over. Uh, once I got into high school, my mom moved to a very small town called El Segundo where few people have left their wallets, I've heard. Um, but <laughs> nowhere near as cool as the as the song, I'll tell you that much. Um, actually, there weren't even any black people when I was in school. We didn't even have any fucking Indians, okay? They're like, like, you know, like, yeah, I think we had like two Asian people. And then like the third year, I think they started bussing in, you know, tolerable, handsome football players so that our team, because our biggest sport was water polo okay so that should tell you like white on white on white in speedos but anyway I got very involved in choir there uh, with a woman who actually ended up having an affair with one of the choristers in high school. And as soon as she got pregnant, had to drop out of school, and they ended up having three children. Holy shit. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. But she said, you should continue singing, Shelley, because your home life is a mess. I want you to go to community college. So I went to uh, El Camino Community College, where pretty much any uh, South Bay musicians either gone there or Harbor College to, to just learn basic skills. So I was really interested in choir, uh, weight training and aerobics. So I had, oh. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> I had. Um, well, actually, when I transferred to Juilliard, the only thing I had, I had, I had 22 credits, and it was weight training and, and choir. Like, I think I had one piano class that I got a D in. So yeah, it was, it was terrible. So anyway, I went to El Camino, and I was still like back and forth between like, you know, what do I want to do? I know I like music, but I know I can't be a professional chorus singer. So my teacher said, why don't you go and um, study classical music? And I was like, that's crazy. I can't sing this shit. She's like, well, what does it sound like? And I said, you know, when they're like, oh, and she's like, that's it. I'm, like, minute, I'm doing an impersonation. She goes, you might be doing an impersonation, but it's still your voice. And I actually use that a lot with my students because what we have inside of our, oh, there's the gnawing again, right there even closer. Ooh, look, maybe that's shoes coming for me. Oh, yes. I hope so. Hold on. I got to get those shoes
0: this is one of the joys about recording in an apartment life still goes on outside of the recording and one of my favorite things about burlesque shows is how we always say live entertainment ladies and gentlemen this is a live I'll entertainment
1: uh,
0: alright well, right, cool well we'll take a break right here
1: and we're back yeah uh, so yeah so El Camino I was there And then I had a teacher that said, you know, you should really go study classical music. You should really go study classical music. So I got a scholarship um, to Cal State Fullerton. Went there for about a month. I was taking German, you know, regular music classes like music history. And then I got called into the office and they said, we've just gone over your transcripts. You only have 22 credits and it's choir and weight training. We cannot admit you officially into the school. And I said, but I've been singing and I've been taking class. And they said, yes, and we've been desperately trying to find a way to work around it so that we can have you here. But we just can't do it. So you have to go back, get your associate arts degree, take some math classes. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So my uh, choir director at, at El Camino said, you know, there's schools that you can go to where you don't have to take math and all that stuff. So I was like, well, that's where I want to go. <laughs> and then it was Juilliard. And wow. so I auditioned. <laughs> Not the state school,
0: you know, no. <laughs> <of> <laughs> no. well, I didn't Mother really know. Juilliard. I really <laughs> didn't know.
1: Like, I, was, I thought it was a fame school which I was wrong because that's the high school across the street um, but I did have a friend who was going to school there um, as it turns out and very interesting because he was this beautiful big black man he was a baritone and he studied with a very famous black baritone bass baritone named Simon Estes who was one of like the uh, most famous Like um, he was I think one of the few black men that was considered to actually be able to play Othello or Otello opposite a white woman because the Met wouldn't allow it. They still wouldn't allow a black man to play Othello. But Leontine Price could play Chow Chow Song. You know what I mean? It's like a black woman can play Madame Butterfly, but a black man can't play a role that's by a black man. It's ridiculous. But anyway, he was a very famous baritone. And when I got to school, I was supposed to be studying with somebody else, but I was like, oh, I want to study with my friend's teacher. So here I was studying with this man who all of his students were literally from Africa. Wow. Like, oh yeah, like but big booming voices, and then there was me, the soprano, and he got me a lot of gigs, like in Switzerland, of all places, because his wife—he was married to like one of the somebody in Deutsche Bank. Like, his wife was this total gazillionaire and they had this beautiful like you know Swiss chalet and oh my god but he got me a lot of work and then he ended up just going working around and not so much teaching and I got another teacher Charles Callis who was his like kind of backup and he's the one who I was studying with there and it was kind of a catch-22 because I was able to do a lot of work I did a lot of master classes and things like that because he chose me to Mm -hmm. um but like most of the things in in my life, the things that were really good were also bad. Because even though I was chosen more than all of the students within my teacher's realm, other students got upset that I was performing in every master class. Mm-hmm. Because their, student, their teachers weren't recommending them. And I said, yeah, that's not really my fault. If it's one recommendation per teacher and my teacher recommends me for this, mm-hmm. then, you know... And that's... It's always been the case with me. Like, I always have to fight my specialness in order to celebrate it, it seems. Well... Yeah. So that's why I ended up coming to New York. What?
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And you were telling me uh, earlier, before we started recording, about um, your uh, audition process at Juilliard <laughs> and <laughs> how real that was. No. And how... When... First off, I don't. I mean, I know Juilliard's like amazing and like the top of it's everything for music. How long were you there and then when did you start getting into the other parts of your life here in New York? Ah, well,
1: let's see. I started in 1990 and I finished in 98, I guess. Yeah, because my. Is that right? 97, ninety ninety, 90 one was my first school year, but I was on acad, academic probation my first year, so it took me five years to get my undergrad. Oh my God! Why were you on academic probation? Because I couldn't read music. Because I, I, my brain didn't. I could memorize anything if you played it once. And the thing that's so weird is that I, I world premiered so many incredibly difficult pieces that I couldn't read on the page that I would just say, you know, oh. and they'd be like, okay, now you know that you're jumping up to a six and then down to a minor third. And I was like, nope, don't talk to me about that shit. Let me just hear it, listen to it, and feel it. And I, I found that the longer I was there... A lot of what was my creative abilities were taken away because I was given rules and regulations. Mm. And a lot of times when we're told, no, you can't do that, it's, you know, look at kids. It's the same thing. Yeah. As soon as we start to question the, uh, put it, or anything, as soon as you put in the why, you know, or, or the how come, then it, it's, it's not the yours anymore. Out. Yeah. yeah. And I would get in so much trouble, and my teacher would know, like, I can't believe I did this. But we would get Bach chorales, which were written in soprano clef, alto clef, tenor clef, and bass clef. We would have to play the bass clef in the left hand, play the alto or the tenor in the right hand, Jeez. and then sing one of the—I can't fucking believe I, I actually did that. At one time in my life— it's like brain I, conditioning extraordinaire. I, or playing the organ— the organ oh, has unplug. got to be the hardest thing ever to play because you're okay. just like hands and hands and feet and feet and hands and feet and hands <laughs> and feet and, <laughs> and, and, and hands and feet and feet and Like hands. four keyboards. Yes. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Mm. So that was... It was really rough for me there, and, you know, I was also a lot older. I was 24 when I started there. I had already had a complete life, and I was living with kids. You know, I, one of my best friends, Janice Graham, who was the first female uh, principal violin for London Symphony Orchestra, wow. she had never heard the song Stairway to Heaven. She's, she's English. I was like, how is that possible? But then again me growing up you know I'd never heard you know uh, The Tenderlands by Aaron Copeland. how is that possible he's like one of the greatest American composers you know because I was growing up on Motown you know or, yeah. or country music it or wasn't on your radar it was not on my radar other than killed a wabbit killed
0: a wabbit <laughs> i say Looney Tunes, man. That's There's some pretty classic education in there. They were well-informed. Mm-hmm. And the, I guess the culture of society back then was, you know, not as, oh, how do you say? Pop-oriented? Pop-oriented and with the attention span of a termite. Yeah, I mean... Speaking I mean, as somebody who was, quote-unquote, diagnosed with ADD in high school, and so I got to take the Ritalin, just like everybody else. Ooh. But, I mean, whatever. I didn't need it. I just didn't like my classes. Yeah, and I think, this is not my
1: case, but I've known a lot of people who were who were very, very smart and weren't challenged enough in school. Mm. And so then their mind wandered. Or challenged in creative ways, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, but then I'm thinking about like all those trippy, weird charter schools and stuff like that. I don't really know how I feel about all of that, but... <laughs> Whatever. I mean, sc- <laughs> school saved my life. There's no doubt about that. Mm. You know, there's, there's no doubt about it. I'm the first person in my family to graduate from high school, let alone go to wow. college. Yeah. And I come from four generations. My grandmother, my mother, my sister, and her daughter, all pregnant and married at 19. <gasps> Holy cats. Mm-hmm. Yep, holy bunnies. That's a lot of Holy breathing. bunnies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty... mean, there's
0: nothing wrong with that. You know? No, people if that's, if that's, if that's what you're for... into. Yeah, and exactly. that's the
1: thing, because now I'm going to be fucking 46 this summer. All of my friends are grandparents. Oh, They're grandparents.
0: And you have a furry baby.
1: I am four years. Well, I'll be 46 So I'm four years away from ARP. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm going to use that shit. I'm going to go discount at Sizzler. You know (laughs) that? I'm like, I want the hibachi chicken for seniors. (laughs) I love that shit. Man, I'll tell you what. They have an Olive Garden, but if they open a Sizzler in New York City, that shit would be bang. (laughs) The cheese toast. (laughs) Love it. That was real
0: big for our family. You know, like going to the Sizzler, that was like the the big thing to do. I'm sure. Well, I mean, what else? I mean, what I and this is an honest question, what else was there to do where you were growing up, like culturally speaking or going out, you know? Well, I
1: grew up like beach baby. Like that's, I grew up like, you know, I would, I lived on my roller skates and my skateboard and, you know, I was like, I was the first generation to like wear Vans, you know, the tennis shoes and like OP shorts and like what all the crazy hipsters are wearing now. Died in the wool California girl. That's exactly And I mean, when I moved here, I had like 50 bathing suits, including a chamois one, which is ridiculous if you think about (laughs) it. it can't <laughs> fucking swim I'm swimming in a cloth of snot because it just turns that like slimy weird stuff you know but yeah but California is definitely a lot different um than New York artistically as well because mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of gigs out there like I was doing you know like um singing telegrams. I worked for a company called Let Us Entertain You, oh and God. yeah, one time I did a. <laughs> I was j- dressed as the Dole banana, or as a <laughs> giant banana, because it was for the Dole Pineapple Company, mm-hmm. and I was in my 1974 Datsun B210 heading down the 110 freeway in the fucking suit because it zips up from the back, so you have to like you know drive there, and my car breaks down, <gasps> so I had to call, and I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> the chick in the banana suit on the side of the road. Can you come and get me? You know, you know, that was really fun. Oh and, and I God. also worked for a restaurant called Ed DeBevick's, or Eat It Ed's. And there used to be one here on Bleecker when I first moved here, too. And it was like a singing, you could go in, like kind of Ellen Stardust Diner, which has been around for a really long time, too. That's the singing waiters there? Yeah, where you go in, you can sing. It's like 1950s. And that's really where I sort of broke my chops on character stuff, because I had a few... Um, long before I moved to New York before I even knew about the real Chi Chi Valente I had a Chi Chi Valente like you know back in the 80s before and I'm sure she was Chi Chi long before I was but and then another character I had was Vava Voom uh, which was really kind of fun and I got to wear all these different wigs and there was a big old drag queen who was one of the managers and I would she just like he just like took me under his wing and Aww. was like, And then I'm gonna get you the best hair ever and it'll just be wonderful and he was really supportive and all of my customers at Ed's I had a going away party and one of my customers was a pianist for the gay men's choir mm-hmm. and he came and played and I did a bunch of songs and raised money and I had a fishbowl for all my cheap ass friends who could throw change in, you know. Oh wow. So but, yeah, that was that was a, a very – I think that probably started the weirdo dress-up side of my life, <laughs> definitely working at Ed's. And then when I got to Juilliard and I discovered so much of the different types of fashion because we just don't have that account. You're naked all the time. There is no, like, dress – there is no change of season. It's just, you know, should I wear my knee-high Ugg boots or should I wear, you know, my ankle Ugg boots, you know? <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. before this – Gen- I sound so old before this generation of Ugg boots back when we knew what shearling really was <laughs> when you had cold toes from, from the from the ocean that's what you need Ugg boots for not to go have brunch on a fucking Sunday <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my uh, so. god so after because uh, What I'm trying to do is sort of lead into some of the more, uh, I guess it could be termed the bluer areas of your life. Oh, that's perfect because when I
1: was at Juilliard, uh, I met a nun there who (laughs) came from Rochester and she had a slave that would come and clean the suite for the girls, and he would wear a little horsey tail butt plug. This was in the dorms. In Lincoln, okay, and but was
0: this an actual nun? Yes, or- she
1: was an actual nun. She came from Rochester to Juilliard to, uh, to become a singer. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. Oh, yes. Or, or, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. That would
0: be mm-hmm. the correct
1: terminology. Yes. <laughs> and we're still friends on Facebook. It's um, she's she's really awesome. I, w- I won't say her name because I don't know if she wants the world to know that. Mm-hmm. But somehow. I'm uh, I imagine she got good training through the nuns um, <laughs> on whipping ass <laughs> that she was just like this is something that I want to do and I just knew I want to do it and she's like plus I need money and this place is a, sh- a shithole so let's you know clean it up and then she would have this guy clean around like on his you know, hands and knees with a little horse hair butt plug oh, and then man. she'd have him come in a teacup and then he would drink it you know oh. keep it clean clean it up clean it up clean it up <laughs> that was like her thing keep it clean wow. clean it up I was <laughs> like And, you know, yeah. So she kind of turned me on to that. And then, how did I. I don't even know how that sort of blossomed into into the fetish parties but I think she introduced me to a couple of people and then I met um, Lita Resurrection who was one of the leaders or one of the producers for the Black and Blue Ball and there's uh, a famous fetish ball ex- in extremely famous fetish ball and I no actually I became friends with her through my good friend Kate Rigg, who I knew at Juilliard She is an actor, uh, playwright, etc., etc., and that's how that happened with the Dominicster stuff. She knew um, The Nun as well from Juilliard, but she was doing stand-up comedy at the time, and I went to see one of her shows, and she said, listen... Uh, you know, what do you think of the show? And I said, you're really funny, Kate. It was a great, this was a Caroline's right up the street. I was like, it was really great. You're really funny. And she's like, no, I'm a great writer. You're really funny. You should come up and try to do this. You know, she goes, you could just do this. And I was like, I don't know. And I was with my trombone teacher at the time from Juilliard, uh, just a side uh, job thing. And uh, he was like, dude, I dare you. I dare you to go up and do it. I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I just got up and did like this seven set uh, improv thing and just fucking killed it. So the first time I ever did any comedy every, anywhere was at, at Caroline's. Wow. And the guy was like, are you any good? I was like, I don't know. I probably am. I, you know, I really don't know. And I did really well. And then the dominatrix was very, Lita was very good friends with Kate and she saw one of my shows and said, hey, you're really funny. Would you ever like to host one of these events that we're having? Oh my! And God. that's how it started. And then I got in and then I got a lot of the fetish clothes and then I started meeting a lot of people And then I was dating somebody who was really into the scene and then I started working and it sort of, it was right at the very end of my master's degree. How funny. I was getting my master, master, master. Every time I hear that, I got to. Your master and your mistress degrees simultaneously. Yes, that's right. Wow. Has both a master's and a mistress degree, ladies and gentlemen. Shelley the same siren. Um, that's going to be my new call
0: name, legs. Thank you. i Like it? <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. parlaying from that, I mean, how did you get into the burlesque scene? Say, and I'm sure we're skipping over tons of no, stuff. No, right actually, here, but- not because
1: one of the fetish parties that I was hosting was at. uh Opaline, which is now oh, Drone. Yeah. And when I was there hosting one of the shows, a fairly, fa- I don't know, she's, she's not really very well-known. Her name's Little Brooklyn. You probably have never oh, heard yeah. of her. Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> That's less legend. Yeah, you know,
1: that amazing lady who probably started the career of 90% of the people, well, I'd say at least 70% now, yeah, definitely. Um, other than Joe Boobs. Um uh, she she was dating a guy who was a, a graffiti artist who used to sell his art at these shows and she was there and she said God you know your voice is amazing you're, you're really incredible and you're a great host would you ever think about coming to host a burlesque show and I was like sure why not and so I saw her then right afterward at um, the Mermaid Parade and of course, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, I guess that would be like Fire Island for, <laughs> for the burlesque performers, because you see everybody that you know there. Yeah. And she said, listen, I want you to promise that when you get home, you're going to email me and I want to book you for a show. And I said, done. And then that just started it. Wow. What and, year was that? Do you remember? Oh, that was like nine years ago. Holy cats. Yeah at least nine years. I always think it's longer than that, but Creamy Stevens, who was the other producer for um, Starshine Burlesque, uh, she always reminds me, no, it wasn't that long. It was just just then. So that's how I got in with that. And then I just started... I started hosting really before anything and then always singing, and people always wanted me to sing opera in their shows.
0: Oh, yeah, because you're really good. <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's. I guess it's such a curious thing because people don't expect it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, here I am with tattoos and, like, this, you know, crazy broad, and then it comes out. But, you know, cue the string music. That's when... Oh. <laughs> That's why it doesn't... It hasn't worked for me in the past for my... You know, because the way I am, my personality. Mm. Like, people, they always... Classical producers, opera directors, they see me as a fascinating character, but they just don't buy me as a character because I'm so you know me many many times i've been cast in a show and then fired as in, in an ensemble well, not many many okay shelly leo performer three times <laughs> three times i was cast in a show in an ensemble for off broadway shows that i was then released from because my energy was so strong that I would drew a lot of attention on the stage. Oh wow. And I was I'm not a union uh, actor, which goes against me a lot and it's not no, gone are the days where you could just buy your card. You know, and I don't really have the time to go and do all the extra work and get my points and do all of that and and it pay, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, it does. But, you know, I'm able to do these other non-union jobs. That MTV job was a
0: non-union job. If I was Union, I wouldn't have been able to do that job. And so for those, um, Shelley did an amazing uh, onstage performance piece with uh, Jamie Foxx, wasn't it, mm-hmm. In uh, at the 2001 Video Music Awards for MTV. Yeah. Um, and you guys should definitely go onto YouTube <laughs> to check it out because it's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they're ready for my jelly. Like, not, I really don't think they are.
0: <laughs> Proceed at your own risk, people. That's right.
1: And that was, you know, and then that, interestingly enough, that gig, because I used to do that, uh, that kind of stuff in my stand up comedy. And then I got scouted at one of my comedy shows doing that just as a like a little one off. And they said, hey, you know, we have this concept for a show that for a radio show that we really want to make happen. Would that be something that you're interested in? I was like, "Uh, hells to the yes. So then I came in and they're like, well, what do you think it could be? And I was like, oh, my God, it could be anything. Because sometimes, like, I'll go on and I'll do, you know, very specific renditions. Like, there's a a Jaquan song called Tipsy. You know, everybody in the club getting tipsy. One, here come the two to the three to the four. But the first time I heard it, I was like... Holy shit, that's Carmen! I'm like everybody in the club getting tipsy. One, oh, here come the two, to the three, to the four. Everybody drunk now on the dance floor. Every girl has chicken like she want more. Like she a groupie, nine even on tour. You know, so like, <laughs> that's amazing. And then I'll be like, oh, okay, that works. Or other times, it's just coming up with like with parts. You know, like we did. Um, it's, it's a lot harder with the old school. I mean, it's harder uh, with the old school ones because they actually had melodies. Now it's just like, you know, uh, you know, bitches, How? which is, you know, interesting. The FCC will allow you to say pimp but they want to let you say how. Oh, that's some shit. That's some discrimination right there. Mm-hmm. They even discriminate. You know, me. Oh, please, don't even get me started. <laughs> After all these years of hearing all these lyrics that are just so misogynistic, you know, it's just like, oh, are you kidding? But sometimes, though, I, I do, I guess, my own little pussy riot and I change it around. And I'll be like, he can, you know, suck my clit or whatever instead mm-hmm. of dick. <laughs> we'll do what we can. Yeah. Like
0: I do one version of Get Low. You know, to which sweat. I know very well from you hosting my shows out in Long Island, which is The Long Islanders amazing. love it out there. Yeah, they do. Like, they love that crap. I know they do. They can't wait for you to be back. I can't wait to be back.
1: Well, <laughs> you know, let's talk about that because I have been doing this for hundred thousand years and (laughs) I can't do the same amount of shows that I used to be able to do before you know touring with a band and like staying up all night for like four nights okay granted a lot of that was chemically assisted you know but now I find I get so excited and so it's really hard for me to unwind you know and I just can't um I'm I'm not the party animal I used to be. Yeah, no, hey, it happens. I guess then you cue cue that behind the music, and then her life took a turn for the worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I got up all the dope before I really got into my life, which is good, I think. Those those shifts tend to go hand in hand. I was just having a conversation yesterday with somebody um, about how... Marijuana is a beautiful, wonderful thing, and my friend's husband used to be a pretty regular smoker of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he decided to go off it for a year, and he says the stuff, the amount of stuff that I've accomplished. he's a, he's a designer, like a product and, and toy designer. He says the amount of stuff that I've accomplished in the last year is. You know, it dwarfs everything else from the prior five years. Now, the beautiful thing about marijuana is that people interact with it differently. I know some people who smoke it and then are crazy productive, and other people who smoke it and then (laughs) are you know just tune out and are you know become you know sexy couch potatoes. Yeah, ooh, that's the name of my new band. Thank you, Ohio. We're the sexy couch potatoes. <laughs> Everybody should wear snuggies covered in like uh, Dorito dust or like broken bits of popcorn <laughs> mixed with M and M's. Mixed on. with M and M's, yes, naturally graham cracker dust. That's, mm. um, but you have a, speaking of your hip hopra, you yeah. now have a nationally syndicated radio show. It's been going on now for uh, at least ten years. This that's is,
1: incredible. Yes, yeah, since we're talking about the pot smoke, that's some of the, That is why they call it dope kid. <laughs> I want you to know because I really don't remember when it was it's been at least at least 9 and less than 12 but yeah it's been uh, it's been really cool and I sometimes like when I travel and I'll meet people and I'll tell them about it and they'll be like oh yeah it plays in Detroit here it plays so and so here oh, wow. so it's pretty much like all the you know what's the name of the show it's called Hip Hopera it is called yeah hip-hopera. and so the different artists it, it first started here in New York on the Ed Lover Dre show Shut so if you can up. say yeah come on son like yeah and oh. we used to do it live on the radio first and I'll never forget the first time I did it, We had there was a thing that said motherfucker, but, you know, I, I work with really trained singers, so I'm like, I want to get it as close to possible, so we're going to say mother plucker. So we're like, you know, so up yours, mother plucker, up yours, mother plucker, you know, so, and then he be like, okay, listen, uh, we really want to clarify that that was mother plucker uh, and not the other word that you thought of, you know, so, because I would get really close, but that's... That's what comedy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Telling that line. I was just watching. uh Mel Brooks. Ruggs. I was watching Men in Tights last night, which made me think <laughs> about, um, you know, which is when I was watching it. Watching it last night, I was like, oh my god, this movie is so racist. It's so awful. But then I was like, but it's fucking hilarious. And then I it made me think back from when I was a kid. One of my favorite movies ever, the original Bad News Bears. I don't know if you've ever seen it. A dude oh my God, driving... Yeah. I was like, "There's my fucking grandpa. Drunk all the time, driving a bunch of kids around in his car. That was totally normal. Having, having a 13-year-old uh, being hot because he rides a motorcycle and you're going to have sex when you're 12. I mean, that was like what California was like. And then I think now, and I was like, God, where does it... And then I saw Dave Chappelle in it too. And then I was like holy shit, is this part of his breakdown? Like, can he remember? Because there was one spot when he was like, hold on a second. I got to pump it up. And it, so I guess it was right at when uh, Air Jordans came out. And he reached down and he was like push, 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 pumping up his Air Jordans as one of the men in tights. And I was like, now that is a pretty blatantly racist thing. But then there was something else that he said, and I was like, but I didn't mind that. And it's always so weird to me to see Especially in comedy or even in music, like we were talking about with Othello, what we say is okay, what's okay, what's funny, who can say it? Like this show I'm doing this Thursday, I'm the only white girl in an all Asian cast and Calamity who's producing it says she goes okay you know so we don't want any like and I you know and I was like what I can't do any dry cleaner jokes you know I was like (laughs) I I said oh I'm trapped in an ancient Chinese cleaner you know and I was like and then I was thinking about you know offering people some sushi and then maybe and she's like Shelly I was like come on Calamity of course I'm not going to do that you know I'm like but I want to be able to do something like, is that racist that I have a beautiful cultured costume, that I'm not an actual geisha girl? The, the quote-unquote only name they have for it, the coolie hat, the, the pointed hat, that's what it's called when you buy it online, wow. by the way, or Vietnamese conical. Um, is that going to be construed racist because I'm coming out glamorous? bitch you don't wear those on the rice patty like that you know that's crazy you know i don't know why i had to get ghetto with that I, person, but I don't know maybe they're from the philippines because i'll
0: tell you what that the philippines is like the craziest like
1: non-ghetto ghetto people ever
0: yeah, I mean, that does open up the, the question of appropriation, um, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if we have time to really get into. But yeah, that whole cultural appropriation, what's appropriate, you know, certainly in a performative context, but then comes the comedy and the stereotypes. and
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that was part of it because I told her, I said, there's no way I can't not do a stereotype. I said, I can do a stereotype and give you the best art on the planet at the same time. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, Madame Butterfly, Turandot, Tosca. These are... It, it, look at any of the French painters that were or Turkish, you know, that were into Orientalism. Oh, yeah, look at yeah. but, but I'm like, I'm wouldn't. getting so excited. I'm like, I can't even speak. But is that considered racist or is it homage, you know? So... And then when it comes to burlesque, it's the same thing. And I have people tell me all the time, why are you doing your art in some bar? Why are you seeing... In God's name, why are you sharing this this amazing talent? And this is somebody who, like, pulls an egg out of their vagina. You know, I love you, Bambi the Mermaid. I love you. Um, because to me... My singing, my art, isn't just for one person. Do you know what I mean? Like, not rich people who wear Bill Blast gowns or, you know, who's who's Narciso Rodriguez or wh- whoever's or popular $600 now. six hundred dollar
0: Jimmy Chews, which I have nothing no, against. Yes,
1: but to say that that's the only way that you can appreciate opera—that's that's ridiculous. No. I enjoy dressing up and going to a show, but I don't want to think it's only for a bougie crowd opera was made for the people there used to be a time where it's ridiculous if you think about it they used to leave the lights on through all the rest of the so the rich women can go down in a very special galley and just walk back and forth so people could see their clothes wow. while singers were singing and until Mozart said fuck that them rich bitches can wait I got stuff to do so yeah wow. ridiculous but now here comes the other side of it Right? New York City Opera is doing all these things, trying to get young couples coming in. New York City Opera is now in Brooklyn. Is it? You think Mrs. Leibowitz on the Upper East Side is going to take the train
0: to to BAM to make that shit happen? No. I mean, I have to say, for the credit and defense of BAM, there are a lot of people coming from the Upper East and West Sides going down to shows there. But then again, that's amazing. I had no idea that they were in Brooklyn. Yep.
1: And then when they re... I don't want to get all political or whatever, but um, they only offered uh, the ensemble uh, people like 2% of what their uh, other thing was. And they're uh, using canned music, some of the shows and stuff. What? Yeah, it's, it's really bad. But... You know what? It's it's opera. I mean, you know what? If the fucking Dosecki's guy made an opera commercial, I may not always go to the opera, but when I do, <laughs> I go to the Met. You know, <laughs> I go to New York City Opera. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just saw a, a little um, internet thing that was of him, and I loved it. And it it said, "I don't always fuck
0: around, but when I do, I don't fuck around." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a good motto for you that's yeah well in the spirit of opera would you be willing to sing us a little a little something something uh, but you mean other than my regular impersonation that I just did which there? I love yeah. and I, if you want to if you want to uh, sing something you know even if some of your hip hop actually
1: no I'll do something for you Lakes, because I know that you like French Wee um. we oui. So you can be like, oh, you know what? Your voice is beautiful, but your diction's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. This is a really lovely uh, tune called "Chanson Triste," which means
0: sad song. That's right. That was, that was a pair of scissors. Uh, t- Shelly, in the, uh, typical <laughs> burlesque fashion, is multitasking right now. Over the course of our interview, she has bedazzled and rhinestoned a little. Um, what would you call it's this? It's a bow for my kimono. It's a bow for it's her a butt kimono. Bow. Mm-hmm. It's it's her it's her sexy Obie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. And sexy Obie Bow. Obie, don't you know me? <laughs> <laughs> that's the right. technical term for it. <coughs> that's the way you warm up. Yeah. <laughs> With a bong hit and some seltzer legs. <laughs> note that. <coughs> opera students, take note. <laughs> bong hit, seltzer water, magic. All right, I can give you, I'll give you just a little bit. Just a couple of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Okay.
1: I'll go a Okay. <clears throat> Don't
0: sleep oh, that was beautiful <laughs> thank you oh my she gosh thank you so much that was amazing for um, just so you guys know as she was singing um, her beautiful little Boston Terrier Zelda moved places <laughs> either to be I don't know yeah I guess falling asleep she's now curled up in a chair looking like a very relaxed little hound she goes over there to silently judge my voice <laughs> Oh, is that why she always sat when yeah, I was that's singing? What she, yeah, that's her judging She's Like I'm silently
1: judging you and being cute at the same time, so you feel comfortable. Oh my god! To open your uvula.
0: <laughs> I would, I would gladly open my uvula anytime for that dog.
1: <laughs> anytime. So that's you know it's interesting because I just noticed something that I did. This it happens to me all the time. I think in some ways to get super deep and heavy. Into the realm of Shirley Diane Sonny Watson-Hild. One of the things that I think has always been really difficult for me is to be able to claim that part of me, like mm-hmm. that opera voice, because there was always something deep down inside of me that thought, I'm too dirty for that. You know, I'm not a clean enough soul to have that kind of artwork. And when I was at Juilliard, I hung out with all the men on the loading dock. I knew all the janitors. I knew all the security guards because those were my people. Those were the people that I knew. And when... Um, you know, when my father died, like, they helped to raise money to send me home for his funeral. When I moved, they helped me move. When I needed to get in school, they let me in school. And even now, like, after all those years that I've graduated, I can I cannot go through the school or uh, anywhere in Lincoln Center without one of the guards. Who's If they still work there, they know me. Wow. Like, they're like, Shelly, you know, Shelly. And that was something that was... I tried to stress when new students came in, because I did, like, tours for new students with my little Mr. Microphone. Hey, looking. I'm about to pick you up in there. <laughs> but I would always tell them, these are the, this is the core of, of the real world. Mm-hmm. These are the people that go in and out. And I remember this guy named Pasad, P-A-S-A-A-D. <laughs> and he said, you know, Shelley, I've been here 20 years, and you're the first student who ever stopped to talk to me, like, ever. Wow. And, and it was always an interesting feeling for me because I often wonder how my life would have changed if when I got to Juilliard if I tried to live the other life you know what I mean like if I hung out with like rich kids cultural kids if I went to summer programs at Aspen instead of going home to smoke pot and work at fucking Norm's you know what I mean like because I didn't want to see the same people that I was at school with all year like I think in a lot of ways I sort of I didn't want to be, I had, I had to, I, I still had to retain all my cool points, you know, because Julia, is, when you get there, they're like, yeah, man, I got my fucking violin. It's like, bitch, you're a fucking band geek with like 20,000 other band geeks. You didn't get no pussy until you got here. Don't even try to front, you know, <laughs> actors, you are not cool at all. You were the dorks hanging out behind the backstop like, oh, let's go and, you know, let's do some LARP this weekend. You know, we could really, <laughs> not that there's anything against that. But it's just a bunch of band geeks and chorus Twinkies and, and people getting together and, you know, making these incredible things. And I have a saying that those who make money make the world go round, but those who make art make it livable.
0: Mm. I definitely agree with that.
1: Yeah, because you've got to have you. You have to have the you've got to have the bankrollers. You have to have it. You've got you. I need somebody to be at the market. Putting away those cans of tuna. You know what I mean? I also need somebody who's going to, like, you know, build that building, you mm-hmm. know, or who's going to make decisions on banking or whatever, because it fucking can't be me. You know, I, I want to do my stuff, but we can't help but do that other stuff. We have to, you know, file taxes. We have to do all that other stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Which is a, a different different way of living than regular people. mm mm-hmm. Non-showbiz people. hmm
0: people who don't make a living off of their art.
1: Yes, and that's... I mean, I've been very fortunate. I haven't had to do a temp job or, like, uh, you know, wait tables or anything like that in a really long time. And actually, the last time I did... It was when I got engaged and I felt guilty just not bringing enough money. So I just came, went and got a, a job at this really fancy Italian restaurant and of course was fired for chair varying everybody because I got together all the bus boys and I was like, So did you guys get all the tips I left you last night? Uh, yeah, it was like sixteen sixteen bucks. I left you guys like fifty eight dollars. I said, You guys need to start writing down how much money they're giving you and making sure that you know, blah blah blah. And then all of then I like started like it's not a small riot, but you know, like people were like, Hey, you know, we want to get our money, she's telling us and the manager was like, you know, we've never had any problems until you got here. And then there was this whole thing where they tried to fire me saying that I didn't write down a glass of wine. And I was like, you know what, you guys, I'm just going to make this really easy on you. I'm just going to quit. And all the busboys just dropped what they were doing. They were like, please don't go. Please don't go. And the cooks were like, you're great. We really love you. And the and the fucking manager pulls out my check. So he, he knew, like, that night it was going to be the night. No matter. They were either going to run me into the ground. You know what I mean? Try to find something. And what it was is there was a guy who had a glass of wine at the bar, and you know this, they either pay it out or they transfer the check. I never got a check, so I assumed he just paid out, and then once he got sat for his table, that's a separate bill. Or the wine is there, and they say, here's the bill, we're going to transfer it over. None of that happened. So they were just looking for some kind of shit,
0: you know? Jeez.
1: Yeah. What are you going to do? So that was the last time that I had a a quote-unquote regular job. But I do teach.
0: Yes you know and I have been one of your very fortunate students Yay. which I love very much. And, and I, I, and I one day. I, I want to say that I, I don't
1: like teaching. I don't like teaching at schools and there are certain people that I don't like teaching and I the only students I've ever let go curiously enough are the ones that pay the most money but do the least amount of work. And so I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have, keep my students that I have at $40 who work their asses off than the students I have at 120 Yeah. Who usually want two-hour lessons anyway because they're going to roll in a half an hour late and then want to leave a half an hour early but want to pay me for that time. Right. And I really wish that I was, like, obsessed with money enough to be like, I'm just getting paid. Just getting paid. But it just irks me so much. Yeah. You know, i just like, oh, I don't. I don't know. I have an insane uh, justice system. It's a curse and a blessing, but, oh, it's awful. It is awful. It's a strong one at that. I think it's great. Yeah, it is, but I don't need to get involved in everything, and I don't really know not how to, you know? Like that weird Israeli dog that I rescued. How the fuck would I going to know how to save that dog? I have no idea, but if I didn't go, I didn't know what would happen. Mm-hmm. And people say that all the time. They're like, "Well, what's what? You know, what could have happened to you?" It's like, no, not what. What could have happened to them if I didn't go? Because mm-hmm. I think that's probably my biggest fear. Uh, which, you know, once again, going deep delves back to most people in their weird childhoods is nobody had my back, mm-hmm. and so I am constantly feeling like if I overdo on my part then surely it will come around to me. But usually it's that it's even more crippling than when it doesn't. So it's like, okay, okay, I'm, okay, I'm good. And then like nothing happens and then you're all right. And then you're like, oh God, all right, fuck, (laughs) you know? And I, and I see that a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of people hire me because of the multitude of stuff that I do. And then they just take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. I'm no pushover. Don't get me wrong. I don't fuck around. No, you don't. I don't always fuck around. (laughs) I do. I don't fuck (laughs) around. (laughs) You know, and I'm very generous with my time and what I offer to do with my art. I'm not a... You know, no, I need a minimum per piece, you know, each piece that I do. And I don't begrudge anybody who's like that. But I, I'm still, I'm still a seventh grade Shelly. I want to put on a show every single night. I want to come out with a fucking sheet and dance around and be like, you know, a chic. And then I want to do this song. And then I want to ride a pony. And then I'm going to do this. I want to do that, like, every single night. I don't want to be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, is it going to work? I don't know, like, I just did this new knee kick, knee kick. You know, like, I don't ever want it to be that I'm so stressed out over one particular move. You know, like, Friday night, you know, because we always have such huge budgets for sounding and lighting all of our burlesque Millions, Millions, millions of... Making the tens of dollars that we dollars. Make. Yes. And I had Grace Gotham, who's, as you know, salt of the earth like if there was ever like if there could be a jewish mother from texas it would be her because she's always like how you doing darling? is everything good do you, is everything okay can i get anything for you are you good am i good or is there, did i think okay are you okay like she's like such a sweet girl and i asked her to do the sound and there was a big mistake when i was doing my duet with stormy <clears throat> the classical music and she she was like oh my god oh my god I was like you know what folks I was like we we're doing live I said like, Grace you're doing a great job I'm like just go back to the beginning so it's a little orange thing I was like look at you guys are getting you guys are seeing the wizard right now you know <laughs> and, and so then she played it and it worked out fine and she was so upset afterward and I was like Grace there's nothing that you could do that would warrant you being this worried at this show. You're a stunning performer. I asked you to do something to help me. You didn't, you didn't do anything wrong. And she apologized for like two days after that. And I was like, you know, honey, you, you really don't have to. I was like, it, you're going to be fine. Everything was great. You did a great, great job. But there are other people that if that happened to I don't know what happened. I pressed the shit. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. Yeah. I pressed the button. I don't know. Don't embarrass me. You know, <laughs> you're like, wait, there's, there's not a single moment that that's warranted. At least I don't think so. Yeah. It does boil down to that attitude. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Anybody. There's nothing that you're doing that's so fucking great. Nobody that warrants life not so being able to happen. Nobody. It, I went and saw Bette Midler in that one-woman show. I got a single ticket for it. And she started off really slow and kind of got into it, you know, and then she she ended very strongly. And I just remember thinking people were just like, there's a couple people in the in the that we know in the field who were talking about it, and they were like, oh, "She didn't know her lines at all the first. Oh, during the previous. Oh, she was terrible. Oh, oh Jesus, my God." And I was like, "Really?" Because I've been to a couple of your shows, and you pretty much suck <laughs> on a consistent basis. You know what I mean? And it's like everybody. We're still regular people, you know. And, but it also goes back to, you know people wanting to be the best that they can be and then what their perception of being the best is because the audience doesn't really
0: you know yeah and there can also be that that confusion of what is the art and who is the artist and they can identify very strongly if if somebody is identifying with their art with what's what with the output of it and something goes wrong for them like They've failed as a human being, Mm -hmm. whereas if they're coming at it as an artist, like, this is what I'm putting out there. Oh, it didn't work? Okay, back to the drawing board. But, you know, that's been a learning experience, you know? Mm -hmm. okay. And I find people who are super judgy like that, like, I'm sorry, anybody who would, you know, like, bash Bette Midler needs to be... I'm 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 not condoning violence, but I I yeah. would I would, I would that's a new word I heard <laughs> and I love I would it. A swift <laughs> metaphorical kick in the balls. Yes, because <laughs> even you know like extraordinary artists are gonna have off nights. Yeah. You need those off nights to have the brilliant ones. Because if you were brilliant all the time, that's fucking boring. I'm sorry. No, it's and and I
1: have often found that that is when. You really find out where you are. Some of the most incredible nights I've ever been to ever is where the sound system goes completely out. There's 300 people in the audience. Everybody's staring at you. They're fucking freaking out. And then that's when the serious magic happens. That's when I yeah. come up with an improvisatory game. That's when I have people start stomping on the floor and I make up songs. That's, that's where the magic is. If you get to that and you're like, ah, and you walk away. You know, if you fucking Ashley Simpson, you know, jig it off like it's, it's never going to happen. And 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 I find that I fall into that the that mama category a lot, especially with the choir.
0: You know, oh yes, yeah, because you, so you are you you do the New York City Burlesque Choir. Mm-hmm. When is your guys' next concert?
1: Uh, actually, June second at oh, uh, up? Gotham Burlesque.
0: Hey, yes. fantastic! Very cool. I think. I mean, I could keep talking to you forever and ever, (laughs) Amen, and we're having lunch after this, so I am going to, we're going to continue to talk, but in closing, I would just love to ask, um, I guess, for some pearls of wisdom from you, some some key advice, you know, not just for, you know, anybody who's alive right now, but especially for those who... Are making a living off of their art Or really, really want to And are a little, you know, maybe they're scared Maybe they feel like they don't have the money to do it You know, whatever it is A a Shelley-ism, as it were Or, you know, some of your You're already such a font Of inspiration and knowledge And um, inspiration I would love to know If you have any choice words that you'd like to share You know, imagining
1: Well, this goes against What a lot of people say in this business, and I'm sure I'll get a lot of shit for it. But not everything is quantified by how much you get paid, cash wise. There are some gigs that I take that pay me $40 for a whole entire two and a half hour of hosting, mixing music, editing curating and then there's some jobs that pay me a thousand dollars to show up to sing one song i want to perform as much as possible if you only do it by saying i'm only going to work the jobs that will afford me to to not have to work another job you'll always have a job i'm just saying if you put that kind of desperation on yourself it never happens if you just keep doing your art and it sounds so cliche. If you just keep doing it, they will come. You know, just like, what, what's that really weird movie? The, the Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. If you build and it, they hey, will Kevin come. Costner, but anyway. I don't know why I said that. But, you know, if, if you, if you, and then I guess the other one is, you gotta see it to be it. If you cannot see yourself doing that, you ain't gonna do it, whether it's like I want to host the Oscars, ooh, can I do that? No, you can't ever do it because as soon as the second that you say that, if you say, "You know what, I'm going to host the Oscars or i'm going of course, you know I always say. What is that on um, 30 Rock? Tracy Morgan. He's like, I want to get the So it's like the Tony, the Grammy, the, 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 it's, it's the something. The Emmy, like, the- yeah. I can't remember what it is, but there's, yeah, your producer is frantically scratching down because he's going to know right away. Yeah. The Egot, the Emmy, the Grammy, the Oscar and the Tony. Yeah. I totally <laughs> would love to Egot. Right. I'd love that. You know, and I can say it over and over again. And if it doesn't happen, I can't. I'm not going to say I didn't want it enough. You know what I mean? I didn't. I didn't. I must not have dreamt about it enough. You have to keep. Everything sounds so cliche because you've got to keep hope alive, right? You you need
0: to. Those cliches are there for a reason. Yeah, well, that's just.
1: Well, it's true. I mean, but after even like the most stoic saying said over and over sounds cliche. You know, one of my favorite ones too is "How are you going to get unless you ask." If you don't go up to somebody and be like, hey, I want to be in your show, it's not going to happen. I found it so interesting because one of the things in the Sue Mengers play... She talks about uh, going across the playground to introduce herself to this, you know, the most popular girl to become popular in friends. And I had just done two weeks before that an interview with Time Out New York. And they said, what was a pivotal time for you? And I said, well, I went to 15 different schools before I graduated, not because my family was in the military, but because my family was in jail and on the run. And I would always go up to anybody and be like, hi, I might only be here for a day, but I don't want to hang out with myself. So we're friends. And some people were okay with it, and some people weren't. But I, had I not done that, there's no way I would be where I am today. It's, I don't know how to live with filters for good and for bad.
0: Mm-mm-mm. Wow. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to have you back. Uh, another interviewee because this is I can keep talking until we're both blue in the face thank you so much Shelly for doing this and where can our listeners find out more about you
1: Ah, well you can go to my website which is the crappiest website ever (laughs) it's not like geocities or anything (laughs) yeah yeah so here I am asking for the G-E-T I'm going to ask anybody who would like to maybe barter some voice lessons for uh, web design for some web design but it's just my name which is um com. and just to be clear there's no e before that y cuz it that's makes me crazy cause my so, name
0: s h e l l y w a t s o n.com
1: yes cuz I'm not shelly Watson
0: Shelly she'll, Yeah hey Shelly <laughs> hey,
1: And
0: if people want to Listen to you on the radio They can look for On Fridays uh,
1: Power 105 uh, 5 On Fridays At around 3.30 And Legs I can personally Thank you For getting me on the Twitterverse Because I'm on Twitter <gasps> Just because Yahoo! of you Shelly Watson NYC At uh, Twitter But then
0: yes. I got nervous Because I'm like Who's going to remember Those two N's Watson, NYC. Oh, you'd be surprised. Right. That's why we have magical smartphones; they remember it for us. Hashtag, and you're on Facebook, and you're so people can find out all about. I you still have, have a MySpace reject. page. I'm like, that do you hit. actually? Yes. I think I might too. <laughs> Not that I've been on it since about 2009, but hey, I'll put a blingy. Uh, call me. Yeah, <laughs> a little thing on there for you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of uh, today's podcast, and I look forward to having you back.
1: Yay! This has been Legs with Lunch.
0: Oh, this is... (laughs) Yes?
1: (laughs) This has been Lunch with Legs.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Shelly Watson. If you want to catch up with Shelly and see where you can find her next here in New York City, please visit her website at ShellyWatson.com, and that's Shelly with a Y, -Y S-H-E-L-L-Y-W-A-T-S-O-N.com. You can also catch her every Wednesday at Nurse Betty, which is one of the tiniest and sweetest bars I have ever set foot in. On New York's Lower East Side The address is 106 Norfolk Street Which is located between Delancey and Rivington Uh, And she is there every single Wednesday night Bringing a fantastic burlesque show That doesn't cost one red cent And last but not least I was negligent in mentioning our intro music And that was Cannon's Jug Stompers Singing Walk Right In Thanks to Downloadable Open Source Music for that one. Again, thanks so much for listening, guys, and I wish you a great week.